0: words on water.
1: to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is Mel Butcher with Carollo Engineers taking over as guest host for this episode. And although I work in the world of engineering consulting, I've thought a lot about the role we play as water professionals in public education and outreach. That's why I asked WEF if I could do a podcast takeover and interview one of the people I appreciate most in this space, Miss Shay Dunifon. Shay, welcome to Words on Water. Hey, it's nice to meet you, and it's great to be here. Thanks. So, tell us about yourself, Shay. Where do you work? What's your role?
0: So my formal title is Education Coordinator, and I work for Pinellas County Utilities out of the South Cross Bayou Advanced Water Reclamation Facility in St. Petersburg, Florida. So that's a really, really, really long name. And I do a little bit of everything, to be honest. When I started here, it was mostly K through 12, so kindergarten to 12th grade education. But I also work a lot with the local technical schools, colleges, universities, basically anyone that has a tie to water, which is everybody.
1: That's absolutely right. So for our listeners, (laughs) could you give us a little more sense of the municipality? Like how many treatment plants, the capacity of the one that you sit at, those types of things. and, And where is Pinellas County in Florida?
0: So I guess we'll start with where Pinellas County is. We are just outside of Tampa. So we're like little peninsula on the peninsula, as I call it. So west coast of Florida, kind of west central, if you're looking at a map of Florida, right on the very coast, Gulf of Mexico. And Pinellas County Utilities owns and operates three facilities. One is a drinking water facility that's up in our North County. And then also in the North County, we have our Dunn facility, which is wastewater and water reclamation. And then down in the South County, we have the facility that I sit at, which is the South Cross Bayou Advanced Water Reclamation facility. So between Dunn and South Cross, South Cross is a 33 MGD plant. So it is also the largest in the entire county, not just owned and operated by the county, but it is the largest in size. So that's one thing that makes us really cool. We have a lot of really unique features here at this facility. For instance, we have a pelletizer on site. So we actually make fertilizer, which is something that when we do tours, people think is really interesting because they actually get to see kind of what happened to their number two which most people don't think about right but we also have things like our tetradenite filters so that's what makes us advanced so we get to point out those kinds of things we also have primary tanks we have two parallel trains we're mle i know now i'm getting into the technical stuff but those are really cool things to point out even to the public and to the engineering community
1: So, tell us about your background and how did you get into the wastewater space to begin with? I mean, for our listeners, I just have to say, Shay is all in. I mean, she's got earrings on right now that are toilet paper rolls and, you know, your little poo characters in the background. So, how did this happen, Shay?
0: Oh, wow. How did this happen? That's a good question. Well, I will say that I never went to college thinking that I was going to work in this industry. We'll be totally honest, right? If you look behind me you'll notice there's there's like at least a dozen different plants behind me. I grew up gardening. I have always been a gardener probably till I die. So when I went to college, I studied environmental science. I also studied creative writing at one point. I was kind of back and forth. But I ended up in environmental sciences because I took a course in soils. And so for somebody who went from gardening her whole life, which is a little more on the creative side I think, because uh, I was doing more like landscape design. I became obsessed with where I put plants in my yard, and okay, that's crazy. Um, but I took a course in soils and I became just completely obsessed with soils and chemistry. So after I finished my undergrad, I went on and studied soils and chemistry at Virginia Tech. And I thought when I graduated that I was going to be this great plant scientist. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Like I was going to walk around and tell people what was wrong with their plants, because that's what plant people do, right? We try to diagnose every sickness and every nutrient deficiency. So I worked in horticulture. I worked in botanical gardens for a couple of years. Um, That's where I first started doing public education. I actually worked out of Naples Botanical Garden, and we were working with a local technical program that was actually teaching future students that were going to become chefs where their ingredients came from. So we were taking them out in the garden and teaching them how to grow tomatoes and showing them how to harvest tomatoes and things that they were like, we've never seen a tomato outside of a box. We just get it in the back of a truck. And so after I left that, I went into property management for about two years and I hated it. I tried fertilizer sales and I did not find myself liking to sell things. So when this position came open, I thought this sounds really interesting. It honestly sounds a little scary because kids can be scary. I mean, at first they are, right? You gotta get used to them. I don't have kids. So I was like, I don't know if I can do this. I've worked with high schoolers and even that's a little intimidating. But there was just a part of me that was like, this sounds really cool. It sounds like something that I know nothing about because again, I did not come from a background in wastewater. So I did not know the first thing when I came into this industry, I was like, what is going on, but it is just such a cool industry. And there's just so much overlap in this industry between just how we treat wastewater and soils and chemistry, like you wouldn't think that there would be. But I think back, for instance, to like the nitrogen cycle. In soils and chemistry, you learn the nitrogen cycle inside and out because you have to understand what forms of nitrogen are in the soil to grow healthy plants and to grow crops, right? And if you have too much nitrogen, what can it do? And what happens if you don't have enough nitrogen? And then you come to a facility like this where the goal is to remove nitrogen and you just kind of, your brain locks in because you understand that piece of the nitrogen cycle. You can go back and say, oh, it's the same theory. It's the same scientific it's just an engineered system. So for me to make those connections was just mind blowing. And I have to say, being in a facility like this, that is so large and so complex, it is mind blowing. There is no way that I know everything that goes on here. And I feel like every day I'm learning something else. I'm learning something else. And so I'm really appreciative of that. But that's a long story how I got here.
1: (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much for sharing that. (laughs) You do this very publicly facing work. I wonder if you would tell us about how you see the role of municipalities now in communities. What's your view on that? And how do you see your own role in the community?
0: I think for municipalities, it's a huge opportunity, right? I think there's this kind of this mindset that as you get older, you start to look at things a little differently. You start to look at life in terms of opportunities, at least I, I have, There is a lot of opportunities out there for municipalities and even people like me that just like to talk about science. So from a municipal standpoint though, we have a lot of challenges. We've kind of taken the route in the past of out of sight, out of mind. If you didn't hear it on the news, that was a good thing. That meant everything was running, it was smooth and there was no fires, nothing. So we kind of took that route and then it ended up kind of biting us in the behind later, right? Because now that we're having issues, for instance, there's, there's pipes breaking or there's sewage that's getting out into the ocean, suddenly people don't understand. They're like, wait, what's going on? So now we're kind of backtracking, if you will, and trying to bring all those people up on, to speed. And that's just not working out. So there is an opportunity here for us as an industry to get in front of some of the youngest in our society, meaning the kids, and start having those conversations from their little. And those conversations could even start with simple things like, do you know where your water comes from? Do you know where it goes? What do you flush? What don't you flush? Just those little things that they can kind of build upon. And then as they get older and they start getting into upper middle school, high school, then we can say, oh, by the way, we have careers. And so we can also kind of loop them into a whole industry and a whole world of opportunity. And the reason I bring the careers piece in, because that's a huge thing here. I always ask people, what did you want to be when you grew up? I mean, what did you want to be when you grew up, Mel? Did you want to be a water engineer? Did you even know that it existed? No, of
1: course not. I had no idea.
0: (laughs) So when you ask kids, you go into the schools and you say to them, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they say things like, I want to be an actor. I want to be an athlete. I want to be a rock star. Maybe they want to be an astronaut, right? there's all these like sexy careers. I mean, the things they see on TV, the things they see in magazines, the things they see in kids' books, that's what they see their whole life. And that's what they know. These have been glorified. And so we have a really unfair advantage, unfortunately, in this industry. And even when we try to bring high schoolers into that conversation, they're like, oh, that's disgusting. I would never work around poopy water. But then if I start getting into the chemistry of it, they're like, wait a minute, that's really interesting." So we have a lot of opportunities, and for me myself, I think a lot of it kind of ties into my personality. Like I'm a nerd at heart. I might not seem like it every second, but I'm a total nerd. So when I get into those moments, and I'm talking to a student, and they're really asking me questions and they're engaged, like I just go off. I just go Bla, blah 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 about this chemistry and all this science and stuff, and all of a sudden they're like, "Oh, that's interesting because." they can pick up on passion, they can pick up on interest, they can pick up on those things. And that's inspirational to them, I guess.
1: Talk to us about a sort of typical year in your role and, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, what are some of the big things you <laughs> plan for each year? And, you know, I have this vision in my head that you are working a lot around the school year and everything. But uh, t- just tell us about that. What What does it look like?
0: Well, there's no such thing as a typical year. Um, (laughs) Pandemic aside, we plan a lot around the school. So I think a lot of my job, my career here, is building relationships with school teachers. And I don't say the school board. I don't say the principals. I don't say the people really high up. It's the teachers. Because if you think about it, it's the teachers that interact with the students every single day, they spend hours with them, weeks with them, months with them, sometimes even years with them. So when you think about who's going to make the most impact, I think about the teachers. So a lot of what I do focuses on the teachers. So I build relationships with teachers that takes a long time. I mean, just like you as consultants build relationships with your clients, it's the same thing, right? So, it's trying to find resources for teachers. And I find that a lot of times, if I build the resources for a teacher, they will use them and they'll even come back and say, Hey, do you think you could maybe design something around this? Or could you adapt it this way? Can I do this? And it kind of starts this dialogue. So, you know, we do field trips, we do classroom visits. One thing I don't do. I don't go to classrooms and just talk. Like I don't have this pre-recorded conversation, this scripted thing. Like I just go in there and I wing it because I think that's more forgivable. And I think kids are like, okay, she's just rolling with it. That's cool, we can do this. Um, and usually what ends up happening is that I end up in classrooms for days after days. Like I won't end up in there for an hour, I'll end in there for like three days, which is cool because that means that the teachers trust me and they like me, I'm fun, I'm entertaining, whatever. But yeah, so I do a lot of that. I do a lot of tours here at the facility. I do a lot of classroom visits. I do a lot of after-school events. There's a lot of STEM going on. So there might be STEM fairs. There might be STEM-related careers. I do high school, college career fairs as well. I do a lot of everything. But basically anything that a teacher asks me, I try to do it. Because really at the end of the day, That's the person that's going to benefit the most, because if I can influence them, they can then influence their students. That's kind of how it works. But it does change a lot. And the last year and a half was completely crazy because of COVID. (laughs) So that's a whole different discussion, though.
1: Right. Right. (laughs) What do you think kids and teachers have enjoyed the most? Oh, I think that
0: students and teachers enjoy the most about educational programming here at South Cross is that it's something completely new, it's almost foreign to some of them. But it's really relatable at the same time. So I go back to this example of the nitrogen cycle, you think about an eighth grader learning the nitrogen cycle, the same way that I think about my first semester in chemistry. And I was like, why are you teaching me this? Why am I learning to read this table? What does this have to do with with being an adult and getting a job? And why am I doing this, right? If you can't relate to something, there's kind of a disconnect, like, why are we doing this? So when students come here, for instance, and they see the processes and I'm describing to them, you remember that little thing in the nitrogen cycle? And they're going, no. And I'm like, okay, let's go back. And you're kind of talking on through the stages of the treatment and you're relating it to something that was seemingly abstract in school. You start to see those little light bulbs starting to go off where they're like, oh, this is a real thing. Like they didn't just teach us this because it was in the back of some textbook. And while, yeah, sometimes that might be a little true. I think once they see it and they start to see that all these different pieces are connected and that they're all working together at the same time, it's kind of a mind blowing thing, right? I mean, if you think about it every day that I walk into this facility my mind just completely blown, Because there's so many moving parts and they have to all be working together to work, right, to achieve this end goal, to treat the water correctly. And I think for people, when they see that and they realize that there's a connection between the science, the technology, the engineering, the art, the mathematics, it is really mind blowing. And I hear students say that at the end of the tour, at the end of the talk, they'll say, oh, my gosh, that was like a lot of science, I'm like, yeah, that was just like the tip of the iceberg or, or they'll say like, oh, that was really cool. I had no idea. I never thought about that. And those are the things that I want to hear because even if I get one out of 10, I'm like, bingo, you know, <laughs> like that's, that's good news. I got to start somewhere. So I know that kids are appreciative. I know the teachers are appreciative. It is a lot of information though. Sometimes going through the treatment processes step-by-step is, it's a lot. And it takes a couple of times to go through because I sure didn't learn the whole process in a week. I mean, four years and I still feel like I'm learning. So
1: for sure. Well, and that's why I think it's so wonderful that you are integrated and get to work at so many different grade levels. I'd like to ask you, what has surprised you the most as you've worked with kids or even adults in the community?
0: Um, What has surprised me the most about working with kids in the community? is how receptive people really are. I think when I first came into this industry, I thought that people were going to be angry to see me, that I was going to become that person that they were like, why did you do that? Why did you rip that pipe out? Why did you make this mess? I didn't know. Right. But just knowing that I was coming from a place and I was going to try and be this voice for something that was silent, I didn't know how I was going to be received. I thought that a lot of teachers would say, I don't have time for this. It's not in my curricula. Move on. So I kind of entered it, kind of tiptoeing in, like kind of sticking my foot in the water. And then I realized that just wasn't going to work. I just had to like dive right in. But I would say that I've definitely been surprised at how receptive people really are. I think there's a lot of interest out there in the community, but there is a lot of challenges when it comes to public school systems. You know, for instance, I always bring up the point that you have to think about the worst school in your community first. You can't focus on the majority, you can't focus on the schools in the nicest neighborhoods because they have access to those resources. You have to think about the worst school. You have to think about the school that's in the neighborhood that nobody wants to drive it. You have to think about the school where half the kids are homesick right now with COVID and they don't have computers at home. And that is always a challenge in the back of my mind. But it's a challenge that when I put myself in that place, I can try and think, okay, how can I overcome these challenges? How can I design something that a kid in the worst school could use or could learn or could benefit from? And so the more resources I develop and the more creative I get in developing those resources, I think the more that the teachers and even the school administrators appreciate it because they see that I'm not coming from a place of. I've designed this one size fits all product and you're going to use this. They go, oh, okay. So overall, I would say that the reception has been really, really, really positive.
1: I want to, I want to invite you to be uh, unabashedly boastful for a moment. Tell us, <laughs> tell us about some of the best outcomes that you've seen created in this type of community outreach. And so that could be something like number of kids that are reached, or maybe you've seen someone come through that becomes an employee after they've learned about your program. Mm-hmm. Talk, talk to us about that and give us the, give us the juicy details.
0: (laughs) Well, I think first of all, it started with numbers every year. Our numbers were going up. Uh, the first year that I was here, I think I did maybe 10 or 15 tours by the second year. I was up to 40, 50, and now it's, it's well over a hundred. Now COVID's kind of changed that. And we've shifted towards virtual tours for right now, and even those numbers have been really high. We did a tour with Earth Echo and that had 5,000 people tuning in. So you see those kind of numbers and you're like that's crazy. That's cool, right? No pressure, right? <laughs> no pressure on me, right? But I think the biggest thing is that when you see that the same teachers are coming back year after year and they're bringing all their classes back. So like the first year let's say Miss Miller brought one of her environmental science classes and she brought 20 kids. And then the second year she brings both sections of her environmental and now she's bringing her chemistry classes. And now you're dealing with 60, 70 kids. You know that you're doing something right because they're coming back. And then another teacher from the same school who teaches maybe biology shows up with her 20 kids. And you're like, okay, now all of a sudden the whole school's kind of like the whole science department showing up. So I think that's been a huge marker of success. Another one is that we get requests from the schools to create things and develop new curricula. They'll come to us and they'll give us a crazy idea. We actually put together, myself and Dr. Phil Kane, we put together a biosolids curricula guide and we gave that out to teachers this year. And that had 13 different lesson plans designed for upper middle school and high school teachers to kind of talk about biosolids. And it was like, what a novel idea. What teacher really goes into biosolids? I mean, that's not even in the standards anywhere. There are standards for wastewater treatment if you're taking environmental science. But other than that, who actually goes into that? And we were like, let's do this. And just giving that out, the teachers were like, this is awesome. This is great. Are we going to have like a teacher training day? Can we come to your facility? Are you going to teach us this? And so I think a lot of it comes from, you know, when we started this program, we were really kind of focused on doing facility tours and speaker engagements, like going to schools and talking. But since then, we've actually developed curricula. We've actually put on teacher trainings. We've done so much more in terms of events that we've been involved in. We're actually working with Seminole High School right now. They are creating a program where students in their junior, senior years, they can actually take the wastewater D or C operator license exam. So if they pass that, then they can come to a facility like this, do their hours and get their D or their their C license and they become operators. And so this past summer, we actually had five interns from that high school intern here and two of them applied for jobs. Now, I don't know what the final results are because that was just like a week ago. But to see those students come through here and say, I want to work here and put their applications in, I, I think that speaks volumes.
1: Oh, that is fantastic. That's Wouldn't just... that be so
0: cool? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that'd be really cool.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Speak to the folks that are working in the municipal world now. What's a misconception that you would like to debunk about the value that municipalities get from investing in public outreach?
0: I think one of the biggest misconceptions would be that it's hard to put a dollar sign on public education. And that's a, that's a true statement. I want to argue that. And that's a tough one because the world that we live in is driven by money, right? Even American society is a consumer-driven society. So a lot of people think of it and they think, well, we're putting all this money into something, but what are we getting back? And, and that's a tough sell. But when you're engaging with the community, you have to realize that education is not something that you know, you're know you going to necessarily see great changes overnight. It does require patience, and that can be frustrating because I'm not the most patient person in the world, so even I struggle with this one. But there is there is a value to it, and I think even on a personal level, If you give people the resources, they will find solutions to their problems. They will try to have a better life. They will try to leave the world a better place. And I do wholeheartedly believe that. And I think that the more information you give people, the more you educate them, the more likely that they're going to make the right decisions, right? Whether that's the right decisions for themselves, their family, the environment, everything's connected. So it's hard to put a dollar sign on that. I would like to think that all the education that we've done here in our community maybe one day there'll be a way for me to quantify it maybe i can go out there and say look we're getting 10 percent less wipes in our system maybe one day i will find a way to measure that but i would say that's probably the biggest thing and from a municipal standpoint we all need good public relations i mean every single day we need the community to know that what we do is essential I don't think that we should necessarily try to hide when we make mistakes and things break because it's gonna happen, we're not perfect. But I think it's important that the community hear from us first and not from the news because that never works in our favor. I think another common misconception kind of goes back to an earlier comment that I made and that is that the public is not happy to see us. I remember going to my first public meeting thinking that people were only there because they were upset and they were going to just look at me and go, "Oh, you're from the utility. You're the problem. You're the reason that I'm paying a higher bill or I'm being told to conserve my water." But most people, even when they're kind of hot-headed, not everybody, most people are still receptive, and I think most people just want information and they just need to know where to find it. So, Education is a really good way to get kind of ahead of that conversation and, you know, not wait until something breaks or something's going wrong. You have to kind of be ahead of people. Otherwise, they're going to look back and think that it's our fault. We're hiding things. So I would say those are probably two really big misconceptions is that there really isn't any return on value. And that people aren't happy and they aren't receptive to hear from their utilities. Like they want to go back to this whole idea of out of sight, out of mind, we don't hear from them, must be working, must be good kind of thing. So we have a lot of challenges as an industry. And one of the biggest challenges we have as an industry is that we have to find a way to connect with the public education system. We have to find a way to get in there and start telling people earlier and earlier things like where does your water go, what you shouldn't flush, what is wastewater. Which, by the way, I hate that term. I think it's a misnomer, <laughs> but that's a whole other conversation. But there are little tidbits of information that we should be putting into people's minds because think about it: all the problems that we're leaving behind for the next generation, they can help us fix these problems. But we got to be honest with them and saying, "Here's the problems that we have." you know, this is why we need your help. We need you to do better. But we also have to hold ourselves responsible and saying, look, we haven't been perfect. We kind of, you know, swept some things out of the rug. So we need your help, but we got to work together. I think that says a lot.
1: Agreed. And so you're you're kind of hitting on this now. What I want to ask next is, What would you like to see other municipalities doing more of? Are there any specific things you'd like to to see municipalities doing more?
0: I would like to see municipalities getting more involved and engaged in the school system. I hear people using the terms education and outreach interchangeably. They're not exactly the same thing. When I think of education, I think of a formal system. The same way that when you go to college and they give you a syllabus and they say, here's what we're going to cover. Here are your learning objectives versus outreach. You might be at an event you set up a nice table. You give out flyers. You have these short interactions with people kind of spurts here and there. Education is a little bit more formalized. But the reason why I would like to see more municipalities get engaged at the school level is because I do believe that it takes time to really change people's behaviors. It's not something that's going to happen overnight. So again, going back to that idea of you know building relationships with teachers, it's the teachers that are actually going to change the students, because they're the ones that are spending the hours and the days and the weeks getting to know those students, building that relationship, educating them. So in a way, we're kind of funneling information through the teachers to then funnel to the students but it's a win-win for both of us. At the end of the day, we get the message out about what we do and the essential services that we provide the community. We get the word out about careers and whether or not students want to go to college or they wanna to go to technical or they're undecided, that's okay. We have something for everybody and students have opportunities to go back later on. Like, you know, some of us like me, we change majors like two three times and others they just do right from the get-go that this is what they wanted to do. And teachers are kind of the ones that are building those relationships and guiding students and mentoring them. And I also think back to, you know, students in the worst communities. So right now, the whole topic of DEI is a really big topic right now, diversity, equity, inclusion. I always tell people that this is not a problem that's going to be solved overnight. But if you kind of go back, there is a common source, right? everybody goes to school, right? Everybody gets educated in theory. I know that's a very theoretical thing to say. Education is something that actually unites all of us. So it doesn't matter if you're an engineer or an artist, a chemist, it doesn't matter what you are. We are all actually united by one thing. And that is that we should all have an education. We should all be given an opportunity to make those choices and to learn that information And so I think it's really important that municipalities kind of get a grasp on this, that this is a bigger picture. It's not just about us as a municipality and the essential services, but it's also about our communities. We're all interconnected. So we have to work together. And I just see education as being a way to do that because we're all connected by education. And who doesn't want to learn? And, you know, when people say, like, I hate learning, I'm like, okay, what happened? What was that trauma? Like, let's go back in time and talk about that trauma, right? Because I think at the end of the day, everybody wants to learn. And if you treat them with respect and you give them the resources, they'll learn. One way or another, they'll learn.
1: Thank you so much, (laughs) Shay. Last question for you. What do you wish more technically focused people in the water, wastewater industry understood about your work?
0: Well, I can say as someone who is technically minded, right? <laughs> so I, again, I, I went to graduate school to study soils and chemistries. I mean, I went from reading x-ray diffractograms to now I'm talking to kids. It's That's a complete 180, if you will. I don't expect everybody to feel comfortable public speaking or talking to kids or anything like that. But I do think it's really important that technically minded individuals understand that we have to have a voice. And so I think it's really important to have these kinds of positions, these public educators, right? because we have to speak up. Otherwise, where is our industry going to go? You know, otherwise we're just, again, we're out of sight, we're out of mind, we're, you know, we're only a problem child on the front page of the news or, you know, the six o'clock headlines with this big spill. So I think it's really important that people understand that you have to have a voice. You have to speak up. And so you need those designated individuals. I also encourage everybody to practice public speaking. I don't care who you are. You have to practice public speaking. You have to be prepared to speak up. Because for those of you who already work in the industry, you are advocates for this industry, not just employees. And I think that's a big thing is telling people, look, you don't just work here. You don't just show up and be an engineer and go home. You're also a representative. You're an advocate for this industry. So you have to speak a little. You don't have to go and speak in front of a you know audience of 50 or 100 people. Don't do what you're not comfortable doing, but at least have some sort of small little talk prepared, some sort of little elevator pitch about what you do, be prepared to do that. You you at least owe the industry that. You at least owe the public that. And most people, like I said, they're, they're just out to learn. They're not here because they're angry. They're here, if they're angry, it's probably because they don't understand. Most people are just defensive because something affects them and they don't understand why. But if you can logically and calmly walk them through something, they tend to be like, oh, okay, cool. And if they're still angry, well, some people are just trolls and that's life, right? So I would say it's just very important to have a voice. If anything, you have to have a voice these days.
1: I, I love it. Shay, thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of Words on Water. To sign us off, what's your tagline?
0: <laughs> Every story begins with once upon a flush.
1: I love it. And where can people find you on social? I would say
0: I'm probably most active on linkedin I do have a Twitter not as active so I would just stick to linkedin to be honest that's probably. Where I put most of my ideas and I share I do believe that education is something that should be free, so when I develop ideas and things I try to put them on linkedin so anybody can kind of go oh yeah that looks cool send me more information and here you go.
1: Excellent. I love it. Well, thank you again, Shay. I really appreciate your willingness to join us and share your message today. Thanks, Mel.
0: Words on water.